Yusong. Kevin. Hi, how are you? I'm good. Welcome back to Maybe Don't, a podcast where we ask our guests one thing they would tell their past selves to maybe don't, and one thing they would tell others to maybe do. Dude, 40 episodes in, I did it without stuttering. Um, that was really good. <laughs> um, I'm one of your hosts, Yusong. I'm one of the other hosts, Kevin. Um, Kevin, do you have any opening monologues, uh, opening monologue jokes for this week's episode? I do. Again with the legal pad. Again with the legal pad. Well, I have to, I'm going to court with this stuff. <laughs> oh, oh, right, right, right. I'm going, I'm trying to be a, become a lawyer during the lockdown. Um, I see. I'm doing like a lot of uh, Zoom court sessions. And so I'm trying to make the jury like chuckle a little bit. <laughs> and so as I'm going through these, you know, brutal murder cases, I'll often right. do a like, and that's what the dead person's. I'll have what they're I'm having. Like, Something yeah, like exactly. that. Yeah, yep, yeah, yeah, uh-huh. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh, uh-huh. The hard thing is the jury turns off their camera, so I can't tell if they're laughing or not. So then often what happens, I'll do eight minutes yelling at the jury, turn on your cameras, I can't tell if you're laughing, you're a bad audience. The right. judge will say, they're not an audience, stop calling them the <laughs> right. audience. <laughs> right, right. Okay, but here's my joke. Okay. What does the main character from The Matrix, Matrix. use when he has a cut and... Right. When his friends say when he's bartending. So this is, if I were to follow the logic of this, this is an and statement. So this is mm-hmm. Matrix, Matrix protagonist when he has a cut and he's bartending. Mm-hmm. Oh, the red pill? I don't, I don't know, Kevin. Neo's porn. <laughs> What's yours, you song? <laughs> that was good. I really like that one. Thank um, you. And Kevin, why was the giving tree, keep in mind this is the giving tree, so passive aggressive? Because of its judicial branch. Ooh. You see good. that? A little tie in with our guests to immediately lose yes. their respect for this week. Let's go. <laughs> let's go. Okay, let's introduce him. Please. He's an actor, podcaster, writer. He has an amazing new book called OMG, WTF Does the Constitution Actually Say? It's Ben Sheehan. Hi, Ben. Hi, guys. Thank you for having me. And for the record, uh, I, I didn't get the, the bartending one, but as soon as you said the cut <laughs> on your Neosporin was a hypochondriac, this is, dude, that was right up my alley. I, I, I got that stuff. I, I use it all the time. Yeah, it's a, well, thank a staple here. Thank you for for joining us and for 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 sharing your 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 wisdom with an unfortunately wisdomless comedy podcast. Um, ben, you're you're now the new official temporary co-host of Natch Pute. I've heard, <laughs> uh, this is and true. you uh, have talked a lot about self care uh, during the lockdown, and I think you're the perfect guest for this show because a lot of what Yusong and I talk about is trying to figure out our own self-care, whether it be like physical or emotional. Um, and I was wondering before we jumped into maybe don'ts and maybe do's, if you had any kind of short uh, self-care tips for for listeners, maybe things that you've done or things that you've trying to avoid. Um, I, I definitely do. One thing is as comfortable as pajama pants are, um, to wear at all times, uh, 
both a mix of the fact that we live in Los Angeles and the weather doesn't seem to ever change. Uh, if you all your clothes also don't seem to change, it becomes this sort of amorphous, weird uh, interpretation of time and you lose track of days and nights and day and time, hours and everything. So I would definitely say uh, uh, to help uh, with your mental health and sort of um, interpretation of the passage of time, um, yeah. changing your clothes. Yeah. Definitely, uh, you know, when you get up in the morning, if you if you work from home normally, this probably isn't a big thing for you. But if you if working from home is new to you, to treat the day with a routine just so that you don't, uh, you know, your your body becomes confused if it's always the same outside and it's always, you know, the same clothes on your body or, or same feeling of clothes between when you get up and, and, and go to bed. So I would uh, I would definitely say sort of having some sort of routine, um, uh, exercising definitely. Uh, if if you go out for walks and runs, keep a distance. Uh, you know, wear masks if you can. But um, you know, again, time is basically meaningless at this point. So maybe it's a good uh, idea to go out and exercise and and get get your cardio in. Doctors say thirty minutes of cardio a day um, is what I've heard, and. Um, you know, this is a time to, you're not, you're, I mean, you're Zooming with people, but you're also, um, uh, you know, out, out, you're not interacting with people in person. So if you want to try a, a, a skin routine, if you want to try a product and you, you know, this is your time to experiment. I myself have uh, started Retin-A uh, a micro and, uh, you know, there's a purging process so that, you know, this is something I can do safely in the home, uh, uh, in the comfort of my home. And, you know, did you say you're, you're retina a micro? Retin-A micro is a is a is a medicine for uh, for acne and for for your complexion. And sometimes when you use it in the beginning, there is a purging process. So gotcha, meaning like it gotcha. gets a little worse before. And if you're self conscious about going out and you know your your skin or 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 something like that, this is a good time and a safe time to to try. So those would be my uh, those would be my three tips. It sounded like a feature for a, a new MacBook, and I also was a little <laughs> was a little thrown off. Um, and, I don't have yeah. that plug-in. Yeah, <laughs> Tim Cook is my dermatologist. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that's great because, like, I've I've noticed that skincare is really easy to neglect in general, but especially now, because uh, they'll be like, "Okay, well, it's I'm still playing Animal Crossing, but my <laughs> my skin is really oily now, so let's you know let's try to do something about this." I've gotten into the habit of like washing my face more at the at the least, and and trying to trying to do do just some more healthier habits in general. Yeah, I'm trying to fully commit to the, and I'm glad that these cameras are from the waist up so we don't have to see my pajama pants, but I'm trying to, my like goal for next week is often with these like Zoom recordings, like with work, I'll have a nice shirt on, but I'll wear like shorts or something. And Mm -hmm. like Leah has called out like, you're in a button up shirt that is buttoned up. Your hair looks nice and you are in running shorts. Um, so I'm my goal for next week is to fully commit to the outfit and and have nice pants and a shirt on. So that's that's uh, progress for me. I I have a, a non self help related question, and it is uh like I don't know I don't know if you also have this habit of but I heard Caroline from Good Christian Fun refer to it as doom scrolling, which is just like waking up and reading the news and doom scrolling, like convincing yourself and taking some kind of like um, perverse, not pleasure, but just uh, like, I don't know, stimulation in the fact that the world's going to end as someone who is writing a book or, you know, has written a book about uh, in within the, like the political sphere, how how do you keep yourself 
sane is my, my, my very insensitive way of asking that question. Well, my honest answer is badly. And the, mm-hmm. uh, the, the, the other answer is that we, you know, I kind of, not to sort of get like too uh, uh, philosophical about it, but it helps to, st- to, to sort of step back and understand how social media was designed in the first place. And mm-hmm. the idea being that when feeds moved from chronological order, and even though you still have the ability to put things in chronological order, when they turned into being an algorithm to surface what it thinks, you know, these platforms think you will most interact with, the thing that drives it is based on your history and what you and what you click on. So if you start to click on more doomsday type, you know, content, then it's going to show you more doomsday type content. And so mm-hmm. I, if you step back and go, okay, well, it's a, it looks like the news is all bad, but keep in mind this snapshot of people tweeting is a much smaller subset of the population than I think we normally realize. And also these platforms want to almost addict me to fear and outrage so that I keep clicking yeah. and I keep scrolling. And the more time I spend on these platforms, um, the more money these companies make. So I guess it sort of ta- helps to take a big step back and like a really big like capitalist macro uh, bird's eye yeah. view and mm-hmm. go well you know I'm really frustrated about this and everything seems horrible but maybe I'm being shown all the horrible stuff a lot more so that I make more money for these big companies so that's that is that is a, a strange way of how I sometimes stay sane is to sort of remove myself from the the rabbit hole yeah um can we can we talk about the book for a second because I think it's so fucking cool um and were you always um very like uh politically i think i'm not even like politically but i mean just like with with uh, like it's about like an intro to the constitution basically and i think it's a thing that like so many people would benefit because like and myself probably the most because i think with reading about politics and stuff i think sometimes I get not all the time, but I definitely feel uh, in over my head and like that I'm reading a language I don't know. And so um, I guess like, was this something that you've always been interested in? And was there a specific moment that like inspired this book? Sure. So I had the combination of luck and privilege to be born in Washington, D.C., and to have two parents who worked in government. One of them worked Mm. with government and the other worked in government. So my mom spent 15 years working in the United States Senate for a senator from Oregon. And when I was growing up over dinner, she would sort of teach me in pieces how the government worked. I remember one time when she wrote down on a nap, I must've been six years old, she gave me a napkin and what had two houses uh, uh, sort of hastily drawn on it. And one of them had a, the number 100 inside and the other had the number 435 <laughs> inside. And that's how I learned about Congress and the, the two branches and, and what they do. My dad has been coaching politicians for a long time, presidents, vice presidents, mostly on, oh, only on the Democratic side for debates and speeches and inaugurations. So growing up in D.C. And, and just outside of D.C. and having parents who worked in this, it was something that was around us constantly. D.C. and, and I live in Los Angeles now, as, as you both know, and it's very interesting to me how D.C. and, and Los Angeles are have such similar dynamics because it's sort of one industry dominates the town and permeates the town and the tentacles yeah. stretch into so many different ways. So it's very much like that with politics. 
And we're I talking studied. about podcasting in LA, obviously. Yeah, exactly. Right, exactly. Podcasting, <laughs> yes. It is completely for anyone who's confused. So I was around it all the time, and I guess I soaked it up for for a long time because dinner conversations would revolve around around politics and 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 my parents' work. And then when I studied politics and American studies in college, and I oh, I just kept paying attention and and I realized people this is something that is unique to me and that an experience, you know, almost naively so that, that people don't have. And the fact that we mm-hmm. barely teach civics anymore, it's really interesting that we only teach, uh, only eight states require a year of government or civics in schools today. It used to be a huge part of our education in the 50s and 60s, at least, you know, my parents and, and other uh, uh, people in their generation took classes like foundations of democracy and civics and U.S. government and, and American government, or I should say U.S. history and American government and today, this is something that barely, you know, 16% of states teach. So it is, it's wild that this has become such an afterthought. And I think for a lot of my friends, I was noticing that they were embarrassed about how little they knew about government. And they were embarrassed that they didn't know the difference between the Senate and the House and what a president does and who their governor is and what a state attorney general is for. So I wanted to write this book for that reason and also just going back to my eighth grade copy of the Constitution that I was lucky enough to get in my one government class in 13 years of uh, elementary, middle, and high school. I was mm-hmm. struck by how absolutely boring and inaccessible and mm-hmm. and dated the language is, but the information still governs us today. And I was wondering if someone had done an interpretation or an updated version. And I found a few that were sort of law experts and professors, you know, brilliant minds trying to dumb themselves down, and it still was pretty inaccessible. And then I found one from the 50s that's still in wide use today, that every pronoun is he. And so it just felt <laughs> like there was no updated version. So I wanted to 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 create that um, and sort of, you know, pass what along what I had by luck and circumstance gained over time and studied um, to everyone else. Yeah, I guess my question for that then is how does it feel to make the HBO's euphoria of the Constitution? (laughs) I mean, the surprising thing is way more drugs in this. Uh, (laughs) A lot more trippy sequences, also produced by Drake. And I don't know. There's a, I mean... (laughs) So very exciting. Putting it. Yeah. I mean, that's incredible because like to 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 that extent, I didn't have a government class. My and like it's it's kind of a joke, but it, it's like, well, US history ends after World War II. Like that's that's what that's where the curriculum ends. And so like uh, who who who's to say whether or not um keeping children misinformed of their political process benefits one party or the other? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. But but uh but yeah, I feel like that's that's super important. I would love to read an accessible spark notes like uh not Boz Luhrmann, but just like very accessible version of 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 dated language and, and what that would even sound like. So And I think yeah. what you're alluding to is is the conspiracy that I hold dear i i have one conspiracy i very truly believe in even though i don't have hard evidence i just have circumstantial mm-hmm. evidence and that is after the 1960s think about having all these civics classes and government classes as a part of our education and what happened in the 1960s yeah. is we had the civil rights movement what did that lead to the civil rights act and the voting rights act after that what did we have vietnam war protests what did that lead to the 26th amendment giving people 18 and up the right to vote we had in from 61 to 71, we had four constitutional amendments ratified. There have only been 27 yeah. 
at all. And four of them were ratified in a 10-year period. Imagine since wow. 2010, we having added four amendments to the Constitution. That, right. it's, it's wild to think. And since the Bill of Rights in 1791, that's the most in American history, uh, uh, the, the most amendments in the shortest amount of time. So mm -hmm. I think that you can see the beginning of civics education being cut in schools and government education being cut in schools after that. And you can trace yeah. it a lot in the last 20 years with No Child Left Behind and Common Core, basically all these things that emphasize reading and math at the expense of everything else. But I find it very convenient for people in power that they suddenly have less scrutiny among the public um, because we don't teach this. And so you can only see so much circumstantial evidence and go, maybe there is a kind of a design or a happy accident that some people are, mm -hmm. are, are, are content with. Yeah, yeah, there's so there's so many people that are like, "Hey, this thing should be different," and then someone in power goes, "Okay, why?" Knowing that they're wrong, but are like, "Okay, why?" And then the person goes, "I I'll be right back." <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, the 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 way that like Noam Chomsky and Hannah Arden have 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 you know archived history since the 1960s has been like. It, it, <laughs> welcome to baby doe by the way uh, but like uh, I, I don't know it, it's very easy to like unfavorably at the US uh, basically keeping up an infinity war not Disney affiliated um, <laughs> since that time and, and to levy those criticisms Kevin should we make a hard pivot to, to what our show is so we're here to talk about uh, what is one thing uh, that you would tell yourself maybe don't or you know the listener and this is maybe don't with ben ben <laughs> ben what's one thing that you would tell your past self to maybe don't maybe don't care so much about what people think of you wow yeah. we did it yes yeah. that's awesome was there was there a moment where you were like, man, I care so fucking much about what other people think of me? So it's literally my entire life. I mm -hmm. have I remember the the pains I went to to wear the coolest clothes. I remember in I mean, you know, this is <laughs> besides my therapist, this is the first time I've shared any of this information, and maybe I guess to Jackie, but I remember mm -hmm. going shopping in seventh grade and I was determined that if I wore the right clothes. I would have the friends I wanted and the people yeah. that I coveted approval from would offer it. And I yep. went and I went to as as you know, here here we go, opening the opening the Pandora's box, went to Abercrombie and Fitch and Montgomery. Yeah. Ball, knocking, on Hall, knocking on Hollister's door. Knocking on Hollister's door. Uh -huh. I would show up in my swimsuit and just sort of stand next to the guys, even though it wasn't a sanctioned uh, uh, modeling uh, gig. <laughs> my own far shittier cologne if that's impossible but i would uh i went in and i remember i got cargo shorts i got uh you know the the right button down and it actually immediately made it worse because I, sh I showed up one day in a completely different wardrobe and style of dress. And people looked at me like, what the fuck is this? I mean, this is like a big transformation. And I remember all the people who skateboarded were like, you know, it felt that they had the monopoly and the ownership on cargo shorts. And so now yes. it was like, I made this worse. I'm 
like a poser from the waist down and now like from the waist <laughs> up i've got like a whole new i uh, am too but for different online. reasons <laughs> <laughs> um you know i should have really embraced the functional capacity of cargo shorts and all the things that i could use for for storage but that was not top of my back then so i remember they are practical shorts <laughs> they're very yeah. practical shorts especially if you are a carpenter uh if you are in construction if you are in uh, um something where you need your hands but you also need to transport this is your this is your mode mm -hmm. of panther short so i would say that um, that was a big moment where I remember putting so much effort into something that ultimately paid off. Not not even how I wanted it to counter to it because people can yes. yeah. people can sort of smell when you're trying too hard. People can mm -hmm. sense it. Um, and I remember and literally smell it when you're trying. They can. Yeah. The they, it is. A, it is a that that's one of the Hollister colognes. Oddly enough, so try too hard. <laughs> Sad effort. So I, <laughs> I remember doing that and feeling, um, I was like, fuck that backfired. And so I, but I just remember it happening and this would build and I would just try so hard to, to fit in, whether it was my clothes, whether it was my tastes in music. And I guess there was one moment in high school where it broke for me. Oddly mm -hmm. enough, I went, I was always like a really pretty good kid. And then I think I had a summer, um, I spent a summer in, in California, here in Los Angeles. I did a, a program at UCLA and I smoked pot for the first time. And I, was, like, I, felt, yeah. I felt a little rebellious, you know? And I remember coming back and being like, just having this awakening feeling, why am I trying so hard? This is exhausting. Like keeping up mm -hmm. with trends, making sure this person and what it, what, what am I wasting by putting all my effort and 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 um and I guess mental capacity into worrying about this? I'm just not gonna give a fuck. And it was the moment where I just stopped caring and trying that I started to have a better experience socially and I started to yeah. make more genuine friendships and people kind of, I just, I was a different person. I, I discovered music. I performed more. That was a big outlet for me. So I just remember the difference between trying so hard and having negative results and not trying and just embracing my, the music I actually like, the clothes I actually like and seeing actual dividends. And so I wish I could have saved myself, you know, a lot of, a lot of trips to Abercrombie, a lot of trips to, mm -hmm. um, um, you know, just places that I would buy this and that and try to make myself uh, feel better because it not only does it have the adverse effects and it's just embracing who you are, it will make your life so much easier. Yeah. I, to, 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 I, I, for what it's worth, I, <laughs> The, the that pressure like to 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 fit in or like uh, that period uh, in puberty where you suddenly come online to the idea of trends or or before then like I remember going with with my mom to an Aeropostel and just being so nervous that I was just sweating from being inside the store of just like ah uh, like 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 oh there's so many expectations right now and <laughs> just like freaking out so so yeah I totally I think that's 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 so understandable the that like cosmic pressure to to fit in i also like media i think at that time too and it seems like it's hopefully better now for kids like i just remember watching like laguna beach and like the hills <laughs> and all that stuff on mtv and being like well i guess these are the clothes that these cool kids are wearing so i, I should you know my friends watch this you know vh1 and mtv like reality shows and this is what they're wearing so 
I guess it was just reverse engineering what like media told me to wear. But now it seems like because there's so many options of stuff that you can watch and enjoy and listen to that it's a little more up to it's a little more subjective instead of like it being like, you know, you're supposed to wear this and you're not supposed to wear that. And I it, I don't know. It seemed like it was both me and my friends being influenced by specific things in a way that felt like someone should have said to us, but what do you guys want to act like and be like and wear? Mm-hmm. Totally. And related to that, when you walk into these stores, you see these images of perfect looking men everywhere. Yeah. Young men everywhere. I mean, these like gorgeous, you know, guys in their early 20s. And we talk so, we're starting to talk a lot more in our, our culture and society about unrealistic standards of beauty for women. I don't mm-hmm. think we talk about it enough for men. And I remember walking mm-hmm. into I these agree. stores and seeing these, you know, perfect looking people and going, well, that's what I have to look like. And how am I going to do that? And so, you know, they they have got perfect skin. They're They're in way better physical shape. Look at these muscles. And I would beat myself up all the time if I didn't live mm-hmm. up to that. And I think it's 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 you know it can be as negative for for men to see unrealistic standards of male uh, beauty or handsomeness or whatever you want to, what you want to call it as it can for young you know women to see um, unrealistic standards of beauty. Yeah, I think um, like was I don't know if it was GQ or something recently had an actor do a like four episode interview about masculinity and it was like a group of men talking about like feeling insecure and I just remember watching that. And thinking like, I really would have benefited seeing this like 10 years ago. And uh, mm. it's cool that, it, that and I 100% agree, Ben, it seems like we're starting to have conversations about that now. And I think a lot of people would have benefited. Uh, it's a really mind-blowing take. People would benefited from knowing things at an earlier age. <laughs> Fancy um, that. Well, well, there's, that's like a great segue into now that you work as a writer and an actor, those are, those are, you have an audience. And so there's a more like direct relationship with what people think. How has that affected like uh, how you view yourself in your career? Well, I, <laughs> it's funny because I'm, I'm actually not an actor. I was, um, Google is really, ad- ad- Google is really <laughs> adamant. No, it's totally fine. Google is adamant about calling me an actor when I'm, when it, for searches, it's really weird. And I've tried to alert them and say, it should say author first, correct first letter, correct end letter of the stuff in between needs to change. And well, it's funny because I wasn't planning on on calling you that, but I was like, well, it said it on Google, so I guess I should say I'm, it. I'm definitely not an actor. I I mean, I took maybe one acting class in high school and uh, uh, spent uh, several hundreds of dollars on uh, improv classes that um, were marginally effective in my life, but I... Join the club. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> Just felt the like club. the safe place to admit that. So I I'm uh, not an actor, but I did. I worked at Funny or Die for a long time, and I did a lot of writing and produce, mostly producing, but but a, a good amount of writing as well. And so in, involved in the creative process in that capacity. But um, your question was, what what how has how have these media standards like influenced the my creative output? I think. Yeah, in, in just regards to not caring what people think, and 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 your process with dealing with that. I think that the way you connect with people is in single case basis rather than en masse. I think that when I would listen to music and I it would hit me and I would really 
relate to a song or connect with a song and then I would see it become a hit. And it's, it's sort of the idea that if you're trying to please everyone, you're going to end up pleasing very few people and mm-hmm. you're going to make a bunch of sort of flimsy, inauthentic connections. But if you're trying to connect with one person and being very authentic about how you feel in your creative art, whatever that is, you know, mm-hmm. if you, if you, if you really connect with one person, odds are someone else is going to feel like that and someone else is going to feel like that and someone else is going to feel like that. So I try, I tend to think of it if I was, I think that art and creativity is really at its core communication. And Mm -hmm. I think about writing and this is very much the tone of the book is if I had a few hours um, and an open bar tab and a friend who knew nothing about the constitution, how would I explain it to them? How would Mm -hmm. I break it down? What would I say? And so I really wrote the style of the book almost meant, it, it was me, if I was talking to someone, what would I say to them? How would I explain it? How would I, how would I distill it? So I pictured myself talking to a, a, a friend, not a specific friend, but, but just a, a friend over drinks um, mm-hmm. over a few hours. And that's me explaining it to one person, you know, copy that, copy that, copy that, copy that, explaining it to a bunch rather than if I was sort of like pontificating to a large crowd because I've learned so much in conversations with friends who are far smarter than me and in many different other categories. And I think one-to-one communication is is sort of the most um, intimate form of communication and and the most on on the level. And I wanted it to just be not explaining something to someone because I think they're stupid. In a way, I mentioned earlier that law professors have written these books that sort of like dumbing themselves down. So rather than a smart person dumbing themselves down, I feel like I'm a dumb person smarting myself up a little bit. And I feel like it's a more accessible. Also welcome to the podcast. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> so I feel like that's a bit more approachable and it's less intimidating too because this bo- this this document is so intimidating. The language, yeah. the punctuation, you're like, what am I supposed to read into? What is What doesn't matter? What doesn't matter. So I think that if you take away the the the, the pretense and the uh, pomposity or pompousness, pomposity, one of those, and I and and just be authentic in in how you would explain something in in layperson's terms to one person, that translates um, to a better means of communication than if I was trying to talk to a bunch of people and please them all at once. Yeah. And I think that even calls back into what I was saying, like I'm trying to please a bunch of people in my uh, you know mm-hmm. uh, uh, clothing choices. You know, I'm trying to just authentically communicate to one person. That's more of a genuine way to present. Hmm. And it's weird because maybe don't has such an authentic feel, and yet we appeal to such huge masses mm-hmm. that it's yeah. it's hard. Uh, like you know, we've talked about finding the balance, and that's something we have to deal with every day. Sure, it's just like dealing with those huge crowds. Yeah, I mean, ten ten million listeners on a on a on a monthly basis is incredible. <laughs> and yeah. I oh, we might have to edit out those real numbers. I don't want to give you know yeah. anyone else some. These advertisers uh, realize you've been uh, yeah ripping them off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I mean, that's great. And also, like, to to approach like um, a, a subject matter that's like pretty fraught with coming off as pretentious. If you do it the the wrong way, I, I, I don't know if we were just maybe talking about the newsroom, but you know, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, so I think, yeah, being a a quote unquote dumb person smarting themselves up is such a is such a great. Um, earnest way to approach something, I think. Uh, is there without... something specific in the book that you're really proud of that, like something that um, 
sticks out to you of like, this is something that I think was really complicated that I'm glad I like it communicated correctly, you know, uh, in addition to the whole book, like, is there a specific example that sticks out? Well, I feel, yeah, there are a few specific examples. I think one macro thing I noticed is I feel like I was lied to in history class. Mm. I feel like I was yeah. lied to in government class. And there are a lot of things that we've been taught because that's just how the way we taught them. But if you go back to the source material, you realize is completely not true. I think one mm. thing is the I mean, as basic as the three branches of government, right? I mean, if anyone has taken a, a government class or a history class or social studies, you hear we have three co-equal branches of government. That's not true. They're not uh, co-equal branches of government. Checks and balances is not the same thing as co-equal. And they are, it's true that these branches of government can check each other and balance each other out in certain ways, but that doesn't mean they have evenly distributed power. And the thing that was so eye-opening for me is how much Congress is meant to be the driver of our government. If you, mm -hmm. you know, just going through the first three articles, you have this very long first section all about Congress, representatives of the people, all the power that they can do, everything from coining money uh, uh, to regulating the value of money to declaring mm -hmm. war to regulating trade to raising. I mean, it, it just goes, the list goes on and on and on. And then you get to Article 2, and it's basically like, and so the president takes what Congress does and implements it. And then the th Article 3 is <laughs> the courts, uh, you know, make sure if there are disputes, they, uh, you know, they, they say what the, the intent of the law and the Constitution is. So we hear so much about the president and the Supreme Court in our news today, but it's mm -hmm. wild that it's completely not how it was designed to operate. And it makes a lot of sense because if you think about who came to the United States in the very beginning um, to, to set up these colonies, it was people fleeing religious persecution and it was people fleeing a monarchy. So what they wanted to do was create a more free society for religious reasons and to decentralize the power, not in one person's hands, but in a bunch of people. So yeah, the, mm -hmm. the executive, the core person has a lot less power and they answer to representatives of the people rather than one person who passes you know, their, their power down of family lineage um, you know, without any uh, uh, people being able to vote them out of office. So I was really surprised to learn how much power Congress has and how much more power it has than the other branches and how we learn about the government today, how we report it in the media, how we think about it um, is, is inaccurate. And that's sort of my big takeaway. There are a few other historical things uh, around um, Reconstruction and, and how um, we almost fell into a second civil war that I think was really mm -hmm. interesting in that, that I, I think the description of there's one very sad uh, page or I guess depressing page in, in the book that talks about like what I call America 2.0, which is the, the Reconstruction Amendment. So in the 13th Amendment, which abolished slavery, 14th Amendment, which does a whole bunch of, of, of things, um, most notably, I think most famously, birthright citizenship and equal protection of the laws. And then the 15th is to grant people um, voting rights um, uh, who were previously a slave and people of color. But the climate, these, these amendments all passed within five years of, of mm. each other. And you had 12, Wild. it's crazy that this all mm -hmm. happened. So the Civil War ends and, you know, we outlaw slavery, we birthright citizenship and a bunch of other things and uh, give black people the right to vote. But there was a shit storm of reactional, reactionary white supremacist violence in response mm -hmm. to this. And mm -hmm. people were freaking out and, and 
the 12-year period after the Civil War, you had so much change. There were 1,500 African-Americans serving in government in federal, state, local level. We had eight or nine members of the U.S. House that were black. This is in the 1870s. And what happened is all this reaction, and there was a, an election that I knew nothing about, but I actually believe is the most pivotal election in American history. And what happened is that there was a, this guy, Rutherford B. Hayes, who was running against Samuel Tilden. And, and Samuel Tilden won, won, see if this sounds familiar, uh, won the popular vote by three points. Uh, mm-hmm. And then suddenly all the electoral votes came in and Rutherford B. Hayes won by one electoral vote. And there was this huge protest and people were going to shoot him and, and murder him at his inauguration. And this whole, um, you know, the, the South threatened to, to go back into civil war and, and create riots and just anarchy, chaos. And they struck a backroom deal and they basically said, OK, if we pull out the federal troops from the South that are down there enforcing civil rights laws and these reconstruction amendments, mm-hmm. um, what if we do that? Will you recognize Rutherford B. Hayes as the president? And they said yes. So they basically took all the federal oversight trying to actually implement the laws and amendments in the wake of the Civil War to make things more equal for African Americans. They took away all of that so that there wouldn't be this whole basically second Civil War Southern revolt. And so it was called the Great Betrayal. And basically all of these African Americans who were able to vote and voted for Rutherford B. Hayes, he then took away all their federal protections in terms of the uh, federal uh, army and, and people enforcing laws. So they were left to deal with all these like white supremacist state governments. So we actually almost had a way more progress in the, these 12 years after the Civil War than we actually did. And then it would be another 100 years before eight African-Americans served in Congress again. Holy shit. Uh, well, like depressed. So I've depressed you, I hope. I mean, no, 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 no. no it's I, like... <laughs> It's wild to think so that so that is to answer your question those are the two things one is the 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 real power of the branches of government and then the second is this really pivotal moment in our history that I think isn't talked about enough but had a yeah. massive impact on on the trajectory of our country. Uh, yeah. and, and it's funny cuz I uh like certain words that you're saying I'm like I know the name Rutherford B Hayes I know the great betrayal I don't know what it's about and i think part of that and we talked about this a little bit with the previous guest mike castle of like our education system failing us that like this stuff is probably said on a pop quiz that you took when you were 14 and then you got mm-hmm. it wrong and then you are never dis- you never discussed it again and you never learned about it again and uh and yeah and like to like you song's point too of like how like is this intentional and like how and especially too with like with social media that stuff compared to like something that trump is tweeting unfortunately it's treated as like that's boring because like look at this racist thing trump said today that is like the like tmz headline that we want to focus on and it's unfortunate that you know a lot of this like powerful you know stuff in our in our history in our country's history just gets forgotten about and not discussed because these, you know, kind of like at times shallow headlines and tweets become the only thing that we want to discuss and right. focus on. And it goes to the media incentives, right? I mean, it's mm-hmm. about getting clicks and abs to, to your website and, and ad traffic. It's it's media company, for-profit media companies, whether it is digital through through clicks and web traffic and serving, you know, pre-roll, mid-roll, post-roll ads, whatever you want to call it, um, or display ads, and people turning into show, tuning into shows, it's all about how many people we can get to pay attention. 
And that mm-hmm. our profit model is directly tied to the amount of people who tune in. Their profit model is not tied to how much those people actually learn. If a million people t- tune in to a, a, a Fox News broadcast or an MSNBC broadcast or whatever, it doesn't matter if they actually learn anything versus mm-hmm. of value versus not. The goal was to get them to tune in in the first place. And I think media companies, very much in the line of what you said, have to take responsibility, not just to get people's attention. That's the easy part. But you're, you have a responsibility to educate. And we used to, I think there was a newsroom joke earlier, which I, you know, obviously have my own thoughts about that, that show. Uh, uh, and probably, honestly, in a line a lot with yours. But if there's anything positive to be gained from the newsroom. If there's one positive thing I can say <laughs> is that it talks about the importance of having ad-free news where you're not selling advertising against yeah. the news because it changes your incentive on what you report. And we see the effects of that today. So, um, mm. you know, that could have just been a tweet. It didn't have to be a show. Yeah. So, you know. <laughs> My, for me, the positive of the newsroom is a moment where someone is unsure if they want to do something. And then uh, a famous newscaster says, I'll retweet something for you. And I have a million followers. And they're like, <laughs> deal. And so that sort of that sort of like clout is like very exciting to me. And uh, it's a thing that I have been chasing my whole life. Well, hopefully in the future, there'll be a moment where we look back at the great retweet and we all realize that that <laughs> saved all of our problems. I, I, I want to ask one last question or, 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 uh, before, we, before we move back into you know, our, our, our normal show because I love this. Me um, too. Does the Constitution have a very individualistic outlook, like philosophically? And I ask this because as an Asian American, comparing Eastern and Western responses to coronavirus, it's easy to see how like... Um, or and wild genera- generalizations here, but like an Eastern philosophy of like you know the idea of the collective, the idea of like family extending beyond your family um, makes it easier to sacrifice in some respects. And then in America, the the individualism, while it is great if there's no pandemic, makes it difficult to to. You know, if you put all this importance on the individual, it's really hard then to get people to reconsider that for just a second. So I was wondering if there's any language in the Constitution that suggests one or the other. So there's actually both in the Constitution. And I think the places that they're most prevalent are the Bill of Rights and actually the preamble. So mm-hmm. talking about the individual first in the Bill of Rights, and then I'll talk about the group in the in the preamble. The Bill of Rights was written in by James, by one person, actually, James Madison, who's the guy on the cover of the book. And he did it to help get people to some states to ratify the Constitution because there's a lot of ambivalence thinking that we create the central government. This is, this is what we were trying to leave a few years ago, guys. We don't want centralized yeah. power. We don't want this. What the fuck are you doing? And mm-hmm. he basically said, okay, so I'm going to add a bunch of amendments talking about the rights of, of people, individual people. Um, mm-hmm. So that there was more, um, so that states had more um, comfort with with ratifying the Constitution, and so a lot of these things are famous. The First Amendment, you know, Congress can't make a, a law to ban a religion, to establish a religion. You are the freedom of press. You can, you know, petition the government for your grievances. You can peaceably assemble. Um, there are individual rights with, with with the law and court cases and in representation. You have a right to to counsel. You, um, you know, you can't be convicted twice of the same crime, double jeopardy, search and seizure rules. So all of these amendments talk in many ways about individuals' rights and, and protecting them. Mm. And 
things like life, liberty, and, and property in the Fifth Amendment, and, and so many things about what are individual rights as, as, as people, uh, residents, and citizens. The group portion of it is the whole point of the Constitution. Why, do, why are we making this? What's, what's, the, what's the point of having a Constitution like this? And it's- I just want to jump in and say, you, Song, and I ask ourselves that question every week, too. <laughs> you should. <laughs> I think everyone should be asking themselves that question. This is a real... <laughs> Sorry. No, uh, I, it's a question that is that is that, that I'm glad that you are asking. I hope more people answer this question. The point is, is that what is government supposed to do? It's to make our lives better. It's to help us. It's to it's to improve our lives, to protect us, and to I mean the common defense and general welfare. Those are the two things I think of to protect what we have mm. and to make people's lives better. And that's the whole point of government, at least in in, in my interpretation of this of this document. So. This is a collective thing. We raise money to make our lives better. How do we raise that money? We tax people. We tax people and we spend it with an effort to make our lives better and, and, and improve our lives and to protect us. So there is very much the idea that this is a group effort and it's something that it's, we're a collection of three, you know, we're, we're a federal government. Sure, there's one, you know, national government, but we're also a collection of states and we're a collection of people. And there are a lot of things that are left up to the states to do. Like you mentioned the coronavirus in your, in your question. I think we're so used to hearing about the national government, the federal government, and the president and Congress and the, the Supreme Court. So there, there's a limit to what they can do. There's a very specific limit. And that's what the book, the, this constitution says. And everything else is left up to the states and the people. And so when you think of things like stay-at-home orders, when you think of things like, oh, I can't go to the beach now. What, how, how did that happen? That's not the president ordering you do that. That's, that's mm -hmm. not in the presidential powers. That is your governor can do that, can, can have that power as an executive of the state. You have things like closing as non-essential businesses and public parts. All these things that keep us safe, I think we've been, we've been surprised to learn are actually at the state and local level. And, and in a weird way, this whole pandemic has been one big civics lesson about what the federal government can do versus what mm -hmm. the states can do, what our local government can do. I'm, regardless of what some people may think about our mayor, I think he's done a really good job in this pandemic in terms of making, we're the, Los Angeles is the first city in the entire country, first major city to make coronavirus testing free and available yeah. to every single person in, or I should say, in LA County. That is that is that is a, a local government leading the way. That's not waiting for the federal government yep. to act. And that is something that I think is is a big part of the Constitution. Is this both knowing who has the power to do what? It's the rights of the individual and the Bill of Rights. But as a group, it's the whole collective point of this is to keep us safe and to make our lives better. And if people are using the Constitution to not do one of those two things or not do either of them, then I think they're misusing the document. Thank God you were positive about Garcetti because we we're really trying to get him on as a guest. So thank you know, you just saved us a little editing there. <laughs> Perfect segue. <laughs> um, Kevin, shall we mosey? Yeah, hell yeah. Okay. Okay, this is maybe do with Ben. Ben, what is one thing you would tell yourself or the listeners or whomever maybe do? Teach yourself how the government works. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely, definitely. Spend some time learning about it. Know how it works. 
understand, get involved from a young age. I think one thing we tend to, to think about, and I thought about this when, before I was 18, is that because I can't vote, I can't participate. And that's mm-hmm. actually not true. There are a lot of things. I spoke to a, a group of um, high school students recently in Texas, and we were talking about this because at age 17, you can pre-register to vote in a lot of states. At age 16, in my home state of Maryland, in three or four different local governments, 16-year-olds are able to vote. They have the right to vote in their local elections, school board and, and mayor and things like that. And even if you're younger than 16, you can still participate. You can go with your parents to knock on doors. You can follow your representatives on social media. You can tweet at them if you don't like what they're doing or just to let them know what you think. You can make calls. You can, you can text message. You can write letters. There are so many different ways to participate. You can show up at town hall meetings. There isn't an age limit to show up at a town hall meeting with your representative. Just because you're not able to actually cast a vote doesn't mean that those people don't also represent you and work for your interests. And I think because we have so little government and civic education in our schools, I think that it sadly falls to a lot of us as individuals. We have to do this Mm -hmm. ourselves. And until we get this back, which was going to help future generations, for the generations that didn't have it, um, you know, they have to educate themselves. And I think the more we have people taking the initiative, educating themselves about government, understanding that, you know, what they pay taxes, that's who they're paying. You know, they're, they're, you're, we're the bosses of these people. If you think of a private company, it's a few people at the top who are the bosses of, of many at the bottom, right? If you flip that, it's government. It's many people at the top who are the bosses of a few people at the bottom because very much like bosses, we uh, you know, have an interview process, which is campaigns. We decide if we want to give them the jobs through elections. We pay their salaries, benefits, and expenses with our tax dollars. And every two, four, six years, we decide if we want to rehire them with, with <laughs> another election. So we're, we're bosses, and it, you would never do it, run a successful private company if you kind of didn't pay attention to the interview process, didn't know what the job was, didn't know who you were hiring, checked in two years later to see if they were doing a good job and not really pay attention and give them another two years. Like, that's asinine. No one would do that if you wanted to have a successful company, but that's how we run mm-hmm. the country. So my, my maybe do would be educate yourself on how the government works, pay attention participate because the earlier you do that, the more that becomes a regular part of your life, the more likely you are to be an informed participant uh, going forward. And you don't have to be a citizen to do this. You don't have to be a citizen to go to a town hall. You don't have to be a citizen to write letters. You don't have to be a citizen to knock on doors. There are all these ways, while currently we force, we make voting a matter of citizenship, there are 11 government, local governments today in the United States, you don't have to be a citizen to vote. I'd say the biggest, my, the thing I was most surprised about in the Constitution is that it doesn't say that only citizens get to vote. It says nothing about that. Forty states, at least in the, in the history of this country, have allowed non-citizens to vote, even for federal elections. This is a more recent thing that we've done as a country. And so knowing that you are a, a funder of the government through your taxes, to feel some responsibility, take some responsibility to educate yourself and sort of act like a, a boss in the way um, because these people work for you. I I love that message so much. I am going to cross it. No, no, sorry. I felt I love that message so much. I I wish more people knew about it, especially in mm-hmm. school board meetings, because that was the one thing I did participate in. Um, before you, you know, I turned eighteen. One of our teachers in high school, everyone loved her, and she was about to lose her job because of budget 
cuts. And so a lot of students actually showed up. And although it doesn't seem political, like the ideology that that teacher brings, you could argue theoretically any teacher just by existing is political, like um, in the way that they talk to students. And I, and I, and I do remember that like, sure, it's really easy to dismiss kids, but not when 20 of them are there and not when you have like intelligent high schoolers making points. And mm-hmm. I, it's, it's really like, I just thought that was great. I was, look, I was a scared little ninth grader. There were a lot of smart 12th graders speaking. I was just there for support. I wish I <laughs> obviously had done more, but uh, luckily she kept her job. Um, but also you have like a lot of like courage at that age, which I think is really, really nice. Like, why not use that courage to like, to, to, to challenge and to, and to, 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 this sounds like a platitude, but just genuinely like, like fight for what you believe in or like, fight to keep your teachers like that that is that is such like hey you want to fuck up the system show up at a school board meeting like listening to a my chemical romance will only get you so far even though their music's pretty good like like um um yeah, play that so at the that meeting when you walk in <laughs> walk into hollister and blast that and make them know how you fucking really feel fight the men yeah. Welcome and, to and my I, black parade. The teacher stays. Yeah. <laughs> and I really love that because I also had no idea that the um the 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 citizens thing. Uh, 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 another podcast that I listened to called "You're Wrong" about um they dive into a lot of like socio- social like misconceptions and they have this joke of like well everything kind of leads back to reagan in some way if you look at if you look at modern history and how our laws progress and so like um to, 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 to any listener obviously follow ben and 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 his book and everything um and and there's a lot of podcasts out there that that are um great at, um and and going off that you song like yeah you won't you won't make any sort of change if you are like if you are afraid of it and if you are if you're refusing to learn and i think that was like that's the thing i wish i told my younger self was i think at times being afraid at the language being so dense and like not having a book like ben's i was like well i just think i i won't understand this stuff till i'm older and then when you're older it's like then you realize wait, I should have been spending my younger years because now everyone's past me and now I feel embarrassed to uh, talk politics even though I know what I believe in. I don't have that like core understanding of like governments and constitutions. So then you're re-piecing stuff that you should have like learned earlier at an earlier age. So basically like you won't help make any sort of change until you start uh, educating yourself, you know? Mm -hmm. And, And if you're just like, I think that's, what can be frustrating too about seeing a lot of stupid arguments on Twitter, it's like people just saying stuff and then you ask one or two follow-up questions and you realize they have no understanding of what they're even arguing. And like, mm-hmm. that's what can be very like frustrating too is it's just like a refusal to want to learn, but you were raised a certain way. So you want to, you know, really push an agenda that maybe you don't fully support <laughs> or fully understand so yeah. you know having an understanding of of the constitution and the government and just politics in general like there are so many things i wish i changed about my understanding of the government growing up so yeah well with um, twitter oh wait you wait you guys are gone sorry i realized the <laughs> <laughs> I just went off for like 30 minutes. And 
<laughs> Both your cameras are off. It's, it's the next day. Well, I was just going to say that I think you bring up a good point with Twitter where it's you, certain people are pressed and it turns out they don't know what they're talking about. What's, you know, what are the incentives for Twitter? You know, we, we, we crave attention, right? On an individual mm-hmm. level, we want, we want our peers to validate us. And how do we get digital validation? We get people to follow us. We get people to retweet mm-hmm. us. We get people to favorite mm-hmm. it. So we post, we, we post and tweet, you know, with, with this expectation or hope for, for digital reward and validation. It's not necessarily to, to say something that's informed. It's to, to say something that mm-hmm. gets a, a reaction and an attention. Um, so that's definitely, uh, that's definitely a part of that. Yeah. Um, to what Ben's saying, people always like to think that they're, like there's no way propaganda would would work on me i learned what that was in the eighth grade actually i feel like the more i use twitter and the more like miserable i get i'm like oh no i'm a fucking dodo like this this shit is obviously like or not obviously but just like so sinisterly like curated for me and it's not making me happy like and so i think the the the, taking the the step back and looking at it in the macro sense is a really smart way to approach things um on a very ironic twist Ben, where can people find you and how, how do people find out about you? <laughs> how can you validate me? How can, um, how can we validate on, Ben online? Yeah, so please follow, uh, like, uh, favorite, retweet. Um, no, I'm at ben, that Ben Sheehan uh, on Twitter and on Instagram. And help, let's help together. If, if there's one change that we should make, it's uh, to move Ben from actor to author on Google. <laughs> <laughs> so everyone Google author Ben Sheehan. Yeah. We can um, make that change together. Thank you so much, Ben. And we'll be right back. Thank you. Thank you. Kevin. Hi. <laughs> Okay, holy shit, Ben is so smart. I, it's it's fun when you discover that you have your smartest guests you've ever had on. No offense to any other guests, but like, let's be honest. <laughs> I just, I am, I am um, halfway through the, the the episode. I was like, wait, Ben, Ben doesn't say like like or um that much, and yet the thoughts that he's saying are extremely coherent. Excuse yeah. me, like I want my money back. Like I, I feel, I, I, I feel like the second time I brought up Twitter, like and then when people also tweet about <laughs> politics, like did <laughs> I was like, you fucking idiot. <laughs> but yes, we'll all benefit so much from that book. I'm so excited. Yeah, no, I can't fucking wait. Um, welcome to Lessons Learned. We teach you about a lesson we've learned this past week. Uh, Kevin, would you like mm-hmm. to go first? I would. If you have a podcast and you have a cup of coffee next to you and you're getting near the end of the coffee, you kind of remember that you poured the rest of the pot into your cup and then mid-interview, take a huge gulp of what is, I would say, 70% coffee grounds and you're trying to keep your cool. And actually, the one upside of Zoom is you can mute yourself and almost th- throw up. There was a moment where I saw you like convulse, mute yourself, and immediately reach for one. And I was like, what? What? And then you came back like super quickly. I was like, okay, well, I guess he's okay. <laughs> but I know Look. what that was. Look at the cup. Look at what you are drinking as you are finishing off the pot. Um, because you might surprise yourself. 
It, or maybe you also remember you don't really know how to make coffee. <laughs> <laughs> um. <laughs> um. <laughs> Uh, please be careful. <laughs> um, please, please be careful. Be careful little. out there. Yeah. Um, my lesson learned is that, like, I know I come across as very meek. Uh, but I, like, in, in high school, I was, like, student council president. And I don't mean to fucking, I don't mean to fucking just drop that in the middle of a fucking lesson. learn like, it's nothing, baby. I was hot shit. Um, but I forgot that, like, whenever I go to, like, networking events or things of that nature like i hate it it's exhausting but i do have a side of the, my personality that's very like hey how's it going like mm-hmm. oh, oh yeah let's let's uh, well, yeah wow well, oh, oh, <laughs> how, 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 how are you doing like put out like, those cigars you saw yeah it's like slightly performative but it yeah. is more sociable and it is more confident and I had like a call with someone very recently and I I, I hope you aren't listening but I was like doing this because the stakes were like the stakes were relatively low. It was just to say hi. And I was like, oh, right. Like, if I wanted to, I could do this. And I think, like, not being scared of that, like, yeah. not worrying about your brand or whatever subconscious thing you're worrying about mm-hmm. is, like, a good thing. So I'm I'm hot and confident now. I love that. I had a, a yeah. similar experience a few weeks ago where we did a Easter Zoom conference call with all of my relatives and I don't know what was happening, what I was sipping on, <laughs> but I was feeling it. And I had like, I had two or three jokes that crushed. And when we hung, when we hung up, Leah was like, "Look at you, Mister Stand Up." <laughs> and yeah, like I think it's funny to like take every now and then take a big swing, and if it doesn't work, blame it on the Zoom and say yeah. that it probably was an internet issue. <laughs> yeah, holy shit. Oh, anyway, thank you for listening. Thank and, you again, uh, Ben. Yeah, thank you again, Ben. Mm-hmm. And hey, stay home. Stay home. Oh, my God. Kevin, I just want to reiterate this. Ben is so fucking smart. Uh, I'm also realizing, you know, and this is this is my fault because I was pushing away from this. Uh-huh. So, uh and I wouldn't even say to the listener because we said goodbye to them. But to, for right. you and I, doing two episodes in one day, it yeah. seems like we were kind of in our groove on this one. And so I guess what I would say is for the last 40 episodes, we maybe should have done doubles <laughs> because it seems like the first one is a warm up and the second one we find our groove. So every other episode. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, the Emperor's New Groove at episode oh, well, 41. Well, we did try early on, and I think it was me because I am, you know, low T, low D, low E, low energy. Um, and yeah. So I think I was really like, I don't, I can't do this. But also, it was when we weren't having guests, so the second episode was also like, what other thing do we hate about about ourselves? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was, you know, yeah, you're right. That was probably part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, although there is one segment that we did back then that I would love to bring back, and that is secret ending, secret ending, secret ending. Well, hey. well, 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 well. The microphones were still on the entire trap. time. <laughs> <laughs> you fell into our trap. 
Um, thank you to everyone who's supporting us on Anchor.fm. Everyone for leaving a nice comment or review on iTunes or or Reddit. Um, it really means mm-hmm. a lot. Nice messages, um, nudes, um, <laughs> um, well, water balloons outside of our homes <laughs> that spell nice things. You know, I, I appreciate it. We love it all. We love it all. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah. Uh, so so thank you. Yeah. Oh shit! Wait. Uh, and uh, yeah, we're f- we're freezing on each other. We're freezing on each other, but this is somehow more charisma and chemistry than we had when we weren't freezing on each other. So it's frustrating that this is the most that we've connected in forty-one weeks. <laughs> is when it's cutting in and out. Um. On that note, we'll see you next week. <laughs>